It's not easy being the one everyone counts on to keep the facility running, no matter the weather or supply chain hiccup. But we get you, Raymond in Buffalo, and Maria in Miami, Jules in Minneapolis, and Stan in central Indiana, taking control of everything that's under your control. At Granger, we're here for you, with experienced branch staff at over 250 locations, so you get the product you're looking for. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, and welcome to the Transfer Tracker Podcast. I'm your host, Scott And this week is really the first week of the transfer season 2022. It appears at this point there are about 20% less transfers than the same point last year. That's just something to keep in mind. Now that could certainly change, uh, but that's kind of where we are at this moment. Currently at the time of recording on March 11th, there are 268 transfers in the portal and you got to think over the next few weeks the floodgates are really going to open up we might see 100 transfers a day it it certainly wouldn't shock me we really haven't even gotten to the uh, p5 first week of of transfers there's still a lot of the major conferences are still having their their conference tournaments at this point so i would definitely look for an uptick in that in the next uh, couple weeks as more of these teams their season ends and they've had a week to contact the coach or um, to, to inform whoever they need to inform uh, this this podcast is going to kind of set the format for the next few weeks I think um, we're going to highlight the, mo- the best available players at this snapshot in time we'll highlight the best players that have already committed and where they're going and we'll talk about what teams have accumulated the the biggest classes or the best classes of transfers at this point there's really only a few teams that even have multiple transfers as you would probably expect but we might touch on a couple of those before we get started i just wanted to acknowledge there are a couple of uh, a few four-star players you know coming out of high school that are in the portal now most of them have been in the portal for, for several months to this point you know but most of them barely played i'm talking like super small sample sizes and just the way i, I like to handle them is uh, they're more or less kind of for me like a, a blue chip recruit but with kind of a stain on them at this point because i have to be a bit skeptical if you were a, a true four-star talent you know why why aren't you playing why have you only played 63 minutes this year? It That just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. There, maybe there was character issues or maybe you didn't have the talent or the coach. It could be it could be the coach uh, just wasn't playing you and he was making a mistake. I, I totally think there are examples of all of that. But if you were a real, you know, four-star talent, even, even your freshman year, I, I think you – you got to be able to find your way into a rotation, even as like a ten-minute-per-game guy, you know. And then we can we can project if you if you played ten minutes a game over the course of thirty games, there's going to be you know a, a chance to project and and actually see what you're made of, so to speak. Um, but in general, I lean towards more of the guys that have the tangible, uh, proven stats, uh, whatever level of Division One. I. I just think there's more to talk about there, more to to dig into and project out and that you know they're usually going to be older guys too um 
and I, I just find them more interesting in general, you know, to talk about than the Zeb Jacksons of the world who had like a two point five PER and played a hundred and twenty minutes. I mean, there's just not a lot to talk about there. And is he good? I, I don't know. Uh, I think you you can't say he's good. Um, we only know what he did on the court and a point three six true shooting. It, it's not good, at least in the small super small sample size he played. And maybe he'll transfer and take off. And there's several examples like this. But I, I generally we're just not really going to talk about them as much. Uh, maybe I'll throw them in a ranking later on at the end of the year, but. I don't think I don't think I'll get there with that one. So let's jump into it. I'd like to talk about the best available players at this moment, who I consider the best available players. No, no cer- certain order. This is more a tier of what I think is the best players. Uh, number one, <clears throat> Neil Quinn from Lafayette, and he just popped up a couple of days ago, and I was looking at his at his reference page. Seven foot tall, 280 pounds, number one, playing in the Patriot League. Nearly 15 points a game, seven and a half rebounds, and the four assist is what really drew my attention. Just as a seven foot, 280 pound guy, and you're, you know, you're in the Patriot League, but you've obviously got some skill if you're, you know, dishing out four assists a game in uh, 20, less than 30 minutes, right at 30 minutes. He was extremely productive, 28 PER. And let's just look at the rest of his career, uh, how, was, how he progressed. Yeah, four points a game his, his freshman year, uh, 11 points a game his sophomore, and then 15 last year. And he was basically the same, yeah, 23 PER, 26 PER, 27 PER, and above 5.7 true shooting each year. So he's very... Very, very efficient. He did not play on a good team. I don't know much about his overall team, you know, what kind of players he was playing with. Let's just dive in just real quick and see if what the point guard or who who was the leading assist man on the team. Did they actually run the offense through him or was there another assist man? Uh, yeah, he was. he led his team in assist. He led his team in scoring rebounding and assist as a seven foot 280 pound big man so i think this guy is certainly going to get a lot of interest i mean if you're seven foot 280 and you're you're you can you can chew gum at all and and walk i think (laughs) this is a this is a good spot for major conference teams you know even some of the mountain west atlantic 10 uh, American League teams, they need to kind of look at this guy, I think. Um, yeah, he can, he could definitely, I think, get into a rotation and, and probably start. I, I've seen a few few guys. I knew there was a guy uh, last year transferred. It might have been two years ago from Cincinnati in the Patriot League, and he had some super nice stats. I don't think he played a lot. So maybe that's uh, just a one-off, but – but I, he's, this guy is certainly worth a chance, uh, taking a chance on. Next up is Dasan Morsek. And he has an interesting journey. He started out in Division Two, where he averaged four points a game, three rebounds. Then he transferred to JUCOs. And I, I didn't look up his stats. You have to think he 
did quite well because he got a Division One scholarship at that point to Illinois State, where he averaged 9.7.2 uh, rebounds and was very efficient. He had nearly a 20 PER, and he did have a 20 PER, and .58 true shooting. And so from there, he transferred to Utah last year, played 13 games, uh, 16 PER. His true shooting was a little under 500, but he was still productive in other areas. His rebounds were very similar. Um, he's a six foot uh, 10, 230-pound guy from Serbia, and he got apparently dismissed from the team. I don't, I didn't find out what the situation was there. If he was a recalcitrant type of person, or just he missed a practice, or or maybe. He, I don't know. Whatever happened, he's he's off the team, and he's on the transfer portal, and he's one of the best ones, I think, available at this point uh, to, to be that productive in uh, P5, Pac-10, uh, Pac-12 conference. you got to think that he, he will have plenty of options. Next up is Hayden Brown from the Citadel, and his, his coach was fired, uh, Duger Balcom. If you are familiar with him, he is, he's one of those coaches that – runs a high-paced offense, and they just run up and down the court. He was at VMI before the Citadel. And this guy, he I don't know what to make of him. He's very productive, Eight, uh, 19 points a game, nearly 10 rebounds, 2.3 assists. He doesn't make a lot of three-pointers or shoot a lot of three-pointers, 28% from three. Let's see what his volume was. It was, uh, yeah, it was all right, yeah. yeah four, he took four attempts a game. In his career, though, he, he's never shot well, 29%. So 28% this year, 29% overall. He did have one without – he only played six games, so we don't need to worry about that. But the last two years, he's averaged 19 points, and he did average 10 rebounds, 10.5 rebounds last year. So 19 points, 10, 10 rebounds. In the Southern Conference, which is an underrated conference, it's actually – I think it's been around top 15, top 10, between 10 and 15 for several years now. So you have to consider he's very productive, but he's six foot five, 225, and he plays power forward. Eh. So I, I, I don't know what to make of him. Can he play small forward at a P5 school? Can he – he obviously could play uh, power forward at some of the smaller schools, and he might even get away with it. Uh, for parts of the game at a, at a P5 school. You know, I think that going small in general, I think going small, there's a lot of value in it. You force the other team to, to, to play. If you've got talent, you can force them to play, to match up with you. And I think well, that's how all coaches pretty much end the game. They, they start playing their skilled players and going smaller and getting the best skill and, and shooting on the court. So, yeah, I, he could definitely play at a P5, I think, but is he going to get to play a lot? Is the coach going to believe in him enough to put him there? Does he have enough skill to, to play small forward? I, I don't know about that. Uh, but he is he's very productive at that level, 27 PER and a 25 PER and a .58 true shooting, basically, the last two seasons, averaging 19 and 10. And, yeah, he's certainly someone – I would I would keep an eye on and and you know I, I think he could play I think he could play in in some of these bigger conferences. Next up, Blake Henson, and he transferred from Ole Miss to Iowa State last year. He's a six foot seven, uh, probably power forward, 
just appears from his stats. He averaged 10 points and five rebounds per game at Ole Miss in 2020. He did not play. He didn't play the last two years. So that's uh, you. You don't know what you're getting. You know what he was, but who knows what he is at this point? Maybe he kept practicing and, and got better. But he was not playing organized basketball, so that's somewhat of a concern. I think you I think you have to ding him a little bit for that. But he was not overly productive. But he was starting started basically every game at Ole Miss for two years. Career eleven point three per, point five two seven true shooting, and right at yeah nine points and four rebounds a game. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he can definitely get on the court and, and play some, but not someone that's uh, I'm super wild about at this point either. Next up, Tariq Key from Indiana State. This guy, he was a two-time first-team All-Missouri Valley Conference player. He was also a second-team Missouri Valley Conference player and a most improved Missouri Valley Conference player, but he hasn't played... Uh, he did not play this year. He last played in 2021. He averaged 17 points a game, and he had basically averaged 17 points a game for three seasons in a row at Indiana State, 17 and five. And this guy, he's obviously, I think he could play at any level. I think he's one of those guys that's an older guy that that coaches are going to want on on the, their team. He had a 24 per .58 five true shooting. Um, and it was basically consistent. He did drop down a little bit his junior year, but his sophomore year he was also a 22 per and a .63 true shooting that that year. So he's he's a serious player, proven over time for three years, all Missouri Valley Conference, and I, I haven't seen much mentioned about him. Um, haven't even seen him on any ranking list. And, you know the other people do, but this is a guy I saw. And if you could, if you're a first team, two time first team. Uh, Missouri Valley Conference. I think you got to. He might even be the the best guy, uh, unless he had some horrific injury that I didn't hear about or didn't didn't find. But at this point, we're just gonna uh, look at what we got, and the information is is certainly very positive on him. Next up, DeAndre Golston, and he has an interesting story. Uh, he's from Milwaukee, and if you know anything about Milwaukee. They got a top five recruit last year. His name was Patrick Baldwin, and he was the coach's son. And I think this guy, he had he had a very down year from his previous uh, year there. And I think some of that, just just on the outside looking in, probably could be attributed to the fact the coach's son, uh, blue chip, you know, at the time uh, recruit. Probably got the, the the spots he wanted on the court, and it probably affected him. Now you also worry a little bit about how he couldn't play off another talented player, but Patrick Baldwin, Baldwin didn't play well. I think he had a 12 per. So I don't know. I don't know how. To, I, I just think he cramped his style in a way, and and it was his team before. Uh, obviously, 2021, he averaged 17 points a game, five rebounds and had shot 37% from three, uh, tw- 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 nearly a 20 PER, a .5 true, uh, 5.6 true shooting. And then last year it dropped down to 12.8 PER, .467 true shooting. So very inefficient. But do you believe in the 
the ceiling or do you believe in the floor? I mean, he's already shown that he has a nearly a 20 PER ceiling in the Horizon League, which is a decent conference. Um, you know, ability to average 17 points a game, five rebounds, and do it very efficiently, but 0.56 true shooting. So I, I tend to believe if a player has showed you what he what his ceiling is, I, I tend to believe in that and go with that. And I, and I ask, what? Why was he? Why did he regress? What is there any certain? Was he injured? And he may have been injured. I didn't I didn't see any any notes of that or find any of that in the research. But I think probably what you could attribute this to was the fact that it was a a blue chip uh, recruit with a bunch of hype who was the coach's son. He he come in and took over the team essentially, very inefficiently, and it just kind of cramped his style. That's what I would attribute it to. And so I think he he certainly is someone that that if you need a wing, this is a guy that that can score and and has before, and I think he can again. That's how I would treat the situation. Next on the list, Anders Nelson, and I included him more or less because I wanted to talk about his path to Division One. And he plays for St. Thomas. And if you're not aware, St. Thomas was a Division Three school, as in no scholarships. And they moved directly to Division One, the first NCAA team to ever do that. And so he, and they weren't that good this year. They won seven Division One games. I think they were seven and twenty, like three hundred and ten net ranking. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not convinced he's. He's maybe a Division One player. Uh, he 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 averages enough, I think, that that you got to have him on the radar. I'll just give you his his stats. He's a six foot guard, uh, fifteen points per game, three rebounds, three assists, eighteen uh, nineteen per. His three point shooting was down, way down this year. Um, and I'll give you his stats from D three in a moment, just because I mainly included him because I want to talk about this journey from Division three. Uh, with your team up to Division One, just because I think it's a it's a fun 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 situation to look at. Yeah, point five one five true shooting, not the worst, but his three point shooting kind of fell off of the map this year. He was thirty eight for one hundred thirty four, twenty eight point four percent. Now let's go back and look at what he did coming into this season. Yeah, last year they were seven and zero. And play it in Division Three, and he averaged 19 points, four assists, shot 36 percent. But this is seven games, small sample size. The year before that, 2020, uh, 26 and three in Division Three, he averaged 16 points a game, two and a half assists, shot 46 percent. So, is it just a bad shooting year, or is it the leveling up in competition? From Division Three to Division One, three levels. I think that obviously had plays a big factor in it, but he was also very efficient overall, fairly efficient when you consider the team he's playing on. That you know he's the best player getting game plan for number one option, the usage, and he was still you know point. I say point five one five point five two when you're the number one option on a bad team. You know you're you're getting the best defense. Uh, Totally, and he 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 still was fairly you know fairly efficient to be sucking up the usage he was, and I don't know I just thought it was an interesting uh, journey, 
you know, the, the first Division three team ever to go to v- Division one. And if you listen to the last podcast, uh, you you know why I kind of enjoyed the 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 leveling up like multiple levels, not even from a low major, but from Division three. That's uh, the one time one time example that we'll probably have of of that. A guy going from being a 16-point-per-game guy in Division three with his same team, and they just transport to Division one suddenly. And how does that go? And it, it went about what you would expect, I think. And he was, he was still the best player, but and he still put up decent numbers. But it's a, it's a big jump, and I think it showed in the numbers. I think probably the best place for him is, say, a, a mid-major conference like to about the 15th, like the CAA or the Conference USA, I think their down would be ideal. Just looking at it from at this point. Okay, let's look at some of the teams that have multiple commits and just in some of the best commits overall in general and where they're going and who they are. First up, Bryant University. They're the leader in the clubhouse. They have three commits at this point, and they actually have one of the more impressive uh, commits as well. Chauncey Hawkins. He is a five foot eight guard, so he's probably going for one of the more appropriate levels for him. But he is very, very productive. Uh, averaged 16 points a game this past year, 16 games, 16 points, four assists. The year before, 15 points, uh, three assists, four rebounds, two steals. And he did that at St. Francis of New York, Northeast Conference team. So, Bryant, I think it's appropriate. He's going to go there, and I, I would expect to be very productive. Uh, a couple years ago, they were 120 RP or 120 net ranking, and now this year they're going to the NCAA. So they're just they're continuing to build on on the success. And I, I've seen him on a couple of ranking lists. I, I think that's pretty fair. He he's very small. I don't know that he could. I don't know how successful he could be in some of the you know upper half conferences 15 and up but he did have a 23 per this year a 0.56 true shooting he can certainly generate offense and uh, facilitate some and so yeah i think he is he's a he's a good he's he's a definitely a good get for bryant that's my point and they are they've jumped on the transfer wagon and they've got three they're the they're the leaders at this point in the year and you know just looking back last year we had South Alabama. I think they had nine transfers at one point. One of them didn't get in or did, or did not show up for school. But it'll be interesting to see this year if, if there's other schools that, that get, you know, seven, eight, nine transfers. Next up, I want to talk about Antonio Dade Jr. And he is going to Coastal Carolina with Cliff Ellis, who is 76 years old, the Shag King himself, multiple top 10 shag music hits and he's still coaching 76 years old uh, and he's got a good class coming in he's got two transfers already committed uh antonio day which we'll talk about in a minute and a transfer from west virginia he didn't play much i'm not going to talk about him but when you look at the team that he has returning potentially i think with this fifth year of covid he has two guys that are listed as seniors they were also transfers last year a starter at st john's and a uh, rotation player at Kansas State. They averaged 14 and 16 points a game. They're both seniors, but with the fifth year of COVID, they could potentially return, I guess. And so if you keep that in mind, 
They're both wings. You're adding this Antonio Day, who is a point guard. They have an interesting team. And then the, the West Virginia transfer, who didn't play much. But that's that's the buildings of a good team, a good, interesting, potential interesting team. And Cliff Ellis, 76 years old. He's uh, number nine on the all-time wins, wins list, 900 I think nearly 900 wins as a coach overall, 800 plus as a Division One. Number one in losses by about 100. So yeah, he's coached like the third most games in the history of college basketball. But he still wants to 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 keep coaching apparently. And he and why not? He's got a good team potentially coming back. I think Coastal Carolina was like 150 uh, ranked net ranking team this year, but. You add this guy and the, the West Virginia transfer, and it gets a little bit interesting. Now, Antonio Day, he's a six foot one point guard uh, from Fordham. He averaged 17 points a game last year. The year before that, he also averaged 17 points a game at Florida International. 17 points, five assists, 2.5 steals. And he was nearly a 20 PER, uh, well, 17 last year at Fordham, and then uh, 20 PER at Florida International, very close to it. It's not not particularly efficient. Uh, 0.55 true shooting last year, 14 games, but the year before, 0.537. So yeah, that that's pretty that's pretty good when you consider that he he was the number one player on the team. He's getting the the best you know def- defender on him. Game he's getting game plan for. Florida International wasn't a great team to uh, to take the pressure off of him necessarily. He doesn't shoot three-pointers, though. 20, 28.9% in his best season uh, with any sort of volume. Career, 27% three-point shooter. So he's not going to come in there and shoot three-pointers. But if he can come in and facilitate, they have these two wings that were P6 quality wings. If they return, uh, that's an that's a team to keep an eye on, and just the fact that that Cliff Ellis is is still adapting at seventy six years old, hitting the, the portal up, and I don't blame him at this point because why are you going to wait on transfers when you're nearly eighty years old? You know, you want to go ahead and have that good team coming in and have something to uh, to coach for, and you know if he if he gets those two guys to come back and he this guy and the West Virginia guy come in, you know you've got. You got four solid players right there, potentially at least P5 level players, and maybe he'll have a good season this year, and and that he'll ride off into the sunset. You know, retire as the eighth best, uh, highest win total in in college basketball history. But just something that I thought was uh, pretty pretty cool. Cliff Ellis, he's been around a long time, still coaching, still still adapting, still hitting the portal up though. That's what. Next up. Wayne Bristol Jr. Uh, from Howard University. He's transferring to Georgetown. He's already in school from what I've read. I don't know if he was quite eligible, but my God, Georgetown is 6-25 and and over in the Big East. So they can use all the help they can get. I don't know how much help uh, Wayne Bristol Jr. is necessarily, but wow, you, you fire... John Thompson the third, who had been to a Final Four and had a couple of down years, and then you hire Patrick Ewan, and you're six and twenty-five, and I think I believe they're going to bring him back next year. You know, the, I, I saw I read where the AD had given him a, a vague or at least a, a sign of confidence, and 
So we'll see where that goes, but I guess that is uh, that is something else. If you're a Georgetown fan, uh, to, to go from uh, being Georgetown, no one has to explain how good they've been over the years to six and twenty-five. That's pretty rough. But we'll talk about Wayne Bristol Jr. I don't know how much help he could be. He's six foot six. He's uh, freshman of the year at Howard, but it is Howard, and he averaged twelve points a game four rebounds he did shoot uh, threes well at good volume uh, 1.5 threes a game 40 percent but he didn't do much else really he 13.5 per 0.52 non-true shooting but when you're six and 25 you'll take all the uh role players you can get and this guy appears to be a role player but you can take all the help you can get and, and they need it for sure Okay, the last player I think we'll talk about today, Trey King. He also went to Georgetown. Uh, let's see what his path was. Yes, he he was at Georgetown. He transferred to Iowa State. He did not play. He didn't play at Georgetown either. The last time he actually played was at Eastern Kentucky, which if you remember the Auburn transfer from the uh, top 20, well, he didn't make the top, top 30 list of mine, he also was from Eastern Kentucky, so that can kind of inform our opinions. I think he was about a 15-point-per-game guy. Trey King is also a 15.6-rebound-per-game guy at Eastern Kentucky, where, uh, yes, uh, the transfer from, from Auburn. And Trey King is a big man, though, a little, little, little bit different. He is six foot nine, two twenty five. 225. He averaged 15 points, 6.2 rebounds, and a 21 PER, 0.539 true shooting. The year before, he's basically 20 PER, 0.574 true shooting. So he's a very productive big man at Eastern Kentucky. I've seen him ranked number one uh, a couple of different early transfer lists, and I think that's pretty fair. You know, I, I think I would have a couple of the guys, if, if Tariq, uh, the guy from the Missouri Valley Conference, if he was healthy, for instance, and maybe the the Utah transfer as well I you know they did it at higher levels still still a little bit you know who knows about this guy uh, he, he certainly I think he could be productive but I don't know about number one um, necessarily and he hasn't played you know last year that's another another thing you have to consider as well I think let's see he was first team all Ohio Valley Conference second team uh, the year before that. So he has pedigree. Georgetown and Iowa State obviously wanted him. He didn't get on the court for either one of them, but maybe third time's the charm. Uh, name your P5 team. Uh, I'm sure he'll be recruited heavily, though. So I think this is going to wrap it up now, guys. I appreciate you being with us. That's the the, the early week and uh, the first week of, of transfer season. And we'll periodically jump on and, and talk about a few guys as some more guys jump on. But I think it's going to be drinking from a fire hose over the next couple of weeks. And uh, we'll just deal with it the best we can. There'll be plenty of time over the course of the summer to, you know, flesh it all out and see who went where and, and, and whatnot and do rankings list and all that. Because, I, you know, I like to do that. So that, that's where we're at. And I appreciate you, you being with us for this first week. At Vanguard. This is more than just a retirement plan. This is your cappuccino date in Italy, the beach house with the matching bicycles. It's your rental car down memory lane, 
and weekends reuniting with friends from over the years. This is the future you imagined, and Vanguard is here to help you build it. Because at Vanguard, you're more than just an investor. You're an owner. Discover the value of ownership at Vanguard.com. Fund shareholders own the funds that own Vanguard. Vanguard Marketing Corporation Distributor.